You're listening to the Worst of the Worst podcast with me, Matt from South Africa, Maddie from Liverpool. What's going on? And John from the States. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about the worst cult. So we put it onto the socials this week and we asked you, what was the worst cult? So we got some comments on that. S. Derb says it has to be flat earthers. Most other cults require some faith, which is harder to disprove, but we know the earth is round. I once sat next to somebody who claimed to be the leader of the neighborhood flat earther group. Uh, in Seattle, and wow. he started off as a as a normal dude. He seemed like a really nice guy. That's how they all start off, normal dudes. And when he he mentioned this a couple times, flat Earth, and I'm just sitting there drinking, you know, trying to not take the bait. Um, yeah, just keep ignoring it and hope he stops mentioning. <laughs> yeah, like okay, yeah, just <laughs> let's let's. If I just don't pick it up, maybe we'll maybe we maybe you'll there. stop. But well, flat Earthers won't stop. He, he this man did not stop. He did not stop. And, and his um. I don't remember the whole gist of the argument. Um, essentially, that if you go to the edge of the earth, they will they will kill you, so you can't I, go there. I've heard something different. I've heard there's a giant wall at the edges of the mm. earth, like a giant ice wall, and there's the governments on the ends of the earth. Like the government. The government. Like the government. The yeah. man. And what they do is they somehow wipe your memory and turn you around back to where you are, and that's how you are able to like traverse the circumference of the earth. Because when you get to the wall, they wipe your memory and they send you back. His, his his whole argument was, look at a map. Look at a map. See, it's 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 like two-dimensional. And I, I didn't... It's like, bro, you know a map is a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional object. Like that Those things exist. I don't, yeah. know what to, I don't know what to tell you. He kept saying, look at the map. He, he, he pulled up a, uh, a picture of one of JFK's offices and there's a map. He said, look at the map, man. It's flat. Yeah, because it's a picture. Yeah, because it's, it, it's a fucking map, bro. Like, you know, I'm still shocked that you've met a flat earther. Like, I've heard they exist, no, but I've they, never they, met they one. They do exist. They oh, do exist. God, that's unfortunate. I, I genuinely felt sorry for this man. If you're into flat earth, you probably just want to be different and controversial. And also, you, you, you can't actually believe I that. Think, I think all these people, it probably goes for our cults too, they want to believe that they are smarter than they actually yeah, are. Yeah, it's that whole yeah. fallacy of like, I, I know something that you don't exactly. and that gives me power. Exactly. You yeah. guys think you're so much better than me but you don't fucking know the earth is flat and I do, so suck it. Uh, we have another comment from Wild Willow Traveler and she says, doesn't Jared Leto have his own cult? Yeah, he does, doesn't he? And he looks the part. He's got the full white the robe. robes. He's got on. the robes. He's got a bunch of young women following him around the compound. He's got the long hair. So what's Jared Leto's pull? Is it just like, I'm so clever and so cool, so come and pay me money and I'll enlighten you? It's based off the very little research that I have done into the cult, but it's it's like a spiritual retreat where you just go and get to meditate with Jared Leto and you pay a shit ton of money, which is a common theme with cults, pay a shit ton of money just to be in his presence and get enlightened. That's such a load of shit, isn't it? <laughs> but the thing is, I think that Jared Leto has become such a meme of himself in the most recent years since he was the Joker, since he's been Morbius. Like, I don't know any logical or rational person that when you mention Jared Leto's name and they're like, wow, he's a great actor or he's a great guy. Like, he, he's a parody of himself at this point. And anyone that's following him probably has deeper underlying issues. I'll kick us off with the first cult for this episode. I chose the Monster Rebellion. Uh, 1534. So just to start with, I'll give you a quick rundown of it. So basically, a group of religious fanatics took over a city for 16 months. And during this 16 months, 
just a lot of mad shit happened basically so they had two kings who claimed to speak directly to god they were under siege from an army for basically the whole time eventually they invaded and you know ended it but they had a few failed invasions stuff like that um polygamy becomes a standard rule in the city there's executions all the time and by the end of it virtually the whole city's starving and then the army enters and it's over uh, and that's the monster rebellion at this time in europe right so this is 1534 that this has taken place now at that time in europe or just previously to it everyone was a catholic until not too long before this you got martin luther yeah and he started writing papers and the religion of lutheranism which is basically what's become protestantism starts and you get all these different religious sects all these different christian sects kind of breaking off some of them are tolerated some of them aren't and one of them is anabaptism okay so the anabaptists believe that your first baptism is void basically it's a load of bollocks because you're too young to understand what it is oh, so, you, so you as a baby need to give consent to be like aware of what's happening to you okay yeah i yeah. can get behind that anabaptism starts out as like a serious faith and mm. there's people writing papers about it just like martin luther was writing papers at the time which are like you know taken seriously a proper religious text like it wasn't straight away this completely mad cultish thing which it became mm-hmm. for this story right there are four people whose names you need to remember okay two of them are called bernard bernard two, yep or bernard bernard i like a, a good bernard bernard's better have you ever guys ever met a bernard i've met a bernie that's a real old man name mm. yeah so there's two bernards so we've got two bernies sick and two yans right Ooh. now the yans come later the yans come later but we start off and we got two Bernards oh, living Bernie. in Munster. Bernard Rothman and Bernard Nipperdolling. Mm. Now, Rothman is a religious preacher slash writer, a little bit like Martin Luther. Like, he wrote serious religious texts which still get studied by people, I think, even to this day. But he's quite a radical. Is it, does this have any connection to, like, the Rothman family? Like, you know, there's that the, those powerful family You groups. mean Rothschilds? Cut everything. Sorry, cut all of that. Sorry, you I, don't I, cut I don't my want... bullshit when I'm when I fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to keep it, Matt. Uh, you know what? That's fair. I'm gonna I'm gonna edit this one. It's not gonna be here. Yeah. yeah. So it's got a big connection to the Rothmans. Yeah, <laughs> the Rothmans. Yeah. Rothmans. Yes. <laughs> my bad. So Rothman was like this serious religious preacher, fanatic writer, and Nipperdolling is, I think, probably the richest man in Munster at the time. He's a merchant, and he's a powerful man. And he basically gives Rothman his protection. So Rothman is sending out these, like, uh, pamphlets, leaflets all across Northern Europe, basically advertising, like, the faith. And he's inviting people to Munster. And one of his big draws is to poor people, basically. He wants to abolish private property. We're going to live in God's kingdom and we're all going to be equal. Appeal to the masses. Exactly, exactly. And there was a lot of people who were, you know, very poor and very downtrodden at this time, and that appealed to them. I just have a question, like, not towards you, but just like a theoretical question. How do you distribute these pamphlets and flyers all across Northern Europe? 
Like, it, how would, did you, like, do you go on a horse? Do you go on... No, messengers. You... Yeah, literally messengers. So the printing press hadn't been invented for that long. That's yeah. one of the reasons why this is, like, this is part of the... Ref- it's not part of the Reformation, but this is part of that era in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the printing press hasn't long been invented, so you can write stuff and distribute it to lots and lots of people now. And another thing that's important with this time is that the Bibles only just started to be translated into different languages. Before this, the Bible was always given in Latin. Sure. And only the clergy spoke Latin. So they had full authority over what, you know, how you interpreted the Bible. But also how it was distributed, because like you could omit or add certain things, and people didn't read Latin, so... Mm. Exactly. So Fake once news. it starts being distributed in... German, English, French, people are able to look at it and say, well, actually, I, I, I interpret it differently. And then you got a lot of different sects of the belief start rising up. And the Catholic Church is very cut up at this time. That's like beyond debate. Sure. So Rothman's writing a lot of these papers and Nippodolling, his rich friend, is basically protecting them and also getting them sent out. And a lot of people are arriving to Munster on the back of this. A guy called Jan van Leyden. Is this the second Jan or the first Jan? Okay, so he's the second king, but he's the first one to arrive. Okay, yeah. So we'll get to, we'll get to that. But Jan van Leyden turns up after reading these messages, and he turns up with lots of other people. And what's going on in the city right now is a bit mad. Apparently there's 1,400 baptisms a week. Because 1400. remember, and yes. these are adult baptisms. Yeah, as well, and the they popular... don't even baby baptisms. Exactly, exactly. So these are like rebaptisms into a new faith. And bear in mind, the population of Munster was only around ten thousand. So That's it's it. it's what like crazy. Fifteen percent, twenty percent of the population is now getting rebaptized as ten percent a week, basically. Right? Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. mad. Yeah. And there's a lot of really crazy stories coming out which can't really be explained. So the stories of people like frothing at the mouth and throwing themselves on the floor in the shape of a cross and historians don't really know why like one main oh, what to theory make of it. Yeah. yeah so one big theory is that it was drug induced um obviously a lot of people don't think it was sincere or genuine now because we don't think like that so people and you don't think, think it would be like staged like a jim jones healing evangelical healing like you don't think they were in on it and possibly it's very difficult to say um Jan van Leyden, who we'll get to, definitely had a knack for the theatrical. Okay. Whether or not his supporters did is a bit more difficult to say. But Jan van Leyden's turned up, as have a lot of other Anabaptists. And now, because there are so many in the city and the situation's become so kind of tense and difficult, the council legally recognised Anabaptists' right to be Anabaptists. Basically, it it was illegal. You were persecuted in other parts of Europe for, for believing in this faith. But now the council says it's okay. Yeah, because too many people are Anabaptist, and if you keep making it illegal... Could that be compared to, like, the IRS giving a church tax-exempt status, like, now they are a religion? I think it goes deeper than that. I think it's more like a recognition of you've now taken over the city. You outnumber us, and there's nothing we can do. Yes, but also, like, you have the right to exist. Yeah, sure, like, we're not going to kill you and punish you just for believing in that. Yeah, you have the right to exist, but I think if it wasn't for the overwhelming numbers, they would never have done that. Mm -hmm. So now that the council has legally recognised their right to believe in this faith, Jan van Leyden invites his mentor, Jan Matthias, to come to Munster. The second Jan. 
Yeah, so Jan Matthias. Jan van Leyden is a young fella. He's in his mid-twenties. Sure. Jan Matthias is an old guy. Mm. And by the descriptions of him, sounds like he looks like Gandalf the Wizard or something. He's got like a big, long, grey beard, long hair. He wears a white robe. He looks like a prophet. Yeah, absolutely, sure. And he turns up basically because Jan van Leyden and Bernard Rothman have told him, it's time, basically, for you to come. And Jan Matthias is a radical fanatic. To the point where he says that we shouldn't follow the meek and mild Christ. We should follow Jehovah, the Old Testament God. Sure, yeah. yeah. So he's really out there and not a kind of mainstream Christian. Mm -hmm. So he comes and there's an election held in Munster. And at the time, the council split Lutherans and Catholics, some Anabaptists on there, Rothmans on there. Mm. Um, in this election, because now most of the city's Anabaptist, the Anabaptists win in the sense that most people elected are Anabaptist, Anabaptist figures. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So they've now taken over the city. And on the night of the election, it just sounds like it went into chaos. So apparently the local bishop was hung that night. Um, Catholics just started getting persecuted straight away. Wow, okay. And Jan Matthias has basically got a direct line to God. Yeah, he talks directly to God. So sure. what the accounts say is that you would be sitting there with Jan Matthias and he would quite literally be like, hang on a minute, I'll just see what God thinks see about this. See what God has to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he'll have a little chit-chat and then he'll be like, okay, me and God are in agreement. This is what we're going to do. Wow, imagine that. How do you argue with that? Yeah, you can't. You can't argue with that. And how do you make people believe that you actually have that direct line? Because it seems to be that his followers believed that he did. I don't know. The art of persuasion back then differs very much to what it is now. Must have been very, very charismatic. Must have been very charismatic. And you've got to bear in mind it's a very, very religious time, much more right. religious than now. I mean, these people are religious fanatics in a time when, by our standards, everyone's a religious fanatic. Yeah, yeah, sure. Do you think there were skeptics who were like, okay, well, what, how many fingers do I have behind my back? You know, what does God say about that? I, I think the Catholics were obviously skeptical of him. Um, there must have been some people who were, but it seems like he had a genuinely big following within inside the city. Sure, yeah. On the night of the election, Jan Matthias says, okay, me and God have had a word, and we need to kill all the Catholics. Did his followers take that in their stride? So his followers were a bit like, oh. Oh, fuck. That's a bit... It's kind of weird. Really? That's kind of fucking <laughs> off. He's like, hey, John, hey, John, sure? hey, John. Did this, just, did this just guy say we gotta fucking kill the we, Catholics? We just need to... Yeah. <laughs> like, violence has been pretty normal between them. There's been a lot of tension, a lot of fighting. Um, Anabaptists are known, and one of the reasons why they're hated is because they will go to Catholic churches and smash up what they regard as false idols and stuff like that. So would they do this during like a mass or would the churches be empty? I, I'm not sure. I'm not know. sure. I'm okay, not sure. Yeah. I would imagine from what I've heard of them, they would be more than willing to do both. Okay, fair. Um, my point is these are not um, quiet people. The, the, these are people who aren't scared. They're not to trying to be Catholics. subtle about it. They're not trying to be stealthy. Yeah. They're, they're active and loud and proud. Yeah, but even yeah. they were like, oh... So, oh, something's all right, yeah. Yeah, but to slaughter our neighbors. Yeah, that's exactly that's what God wants. And, and quite literally, that yeah, there's people who have been living aside for our whole lives. Yeah, you just want us to kill them. 
So Jan Matthias senses this opposition. He says, okay, okay, okay. Let me just reconvene with God. So he has another chat. <laughs> and he says, okay, okay. Me and God have agreed. We're not going to kill them. We're just going to exile them. So the next morning, what early a forgiving morning... God. Yeah, very forgiven, very forgiven. Very convenient as well. Very convenient, I feel like yeah. Old Testament God would have been like, no, you fucking kill him, bro. That's what I... I did I stutter? Did I stutter? Yeah, that, you kill him. That's it. That's quite That's quite merciful for Old Testament God. I know we're not going to kill them. Okay. Send them away. You, Send them okay, away. You really don't want to do it fine. But bear in mind, exile at this time in history is almost a death sentence because your property, everything you own is in your house, your land. Like, it's not as easy to just leave all of your possessions and turn up to another city and, you know, just climb on the job ladder and start, like, it doesn't work like that at this time in history. So it to get exiled is almost a death sentence. Sure, sure, yeah. So basically, the next morning, early morning before they've woken up, all the Anabaptists turn up, pitchforks and all of that, and, and exile all the Catholics, make them leave. Most have already left by the way, like, they can sense what's going on here. Oh, yeah, they have the foresight to be like, oh, some shit's going down. Maybe we should get the fuck out of here. Like smart Americans now. (laughs) (laughs) So the more stubborn and brave ones have decided to stay. Yeah. And then they are forcibly removed. So now we have a situation where the city has been ridden of all of its Catholics, even all of its Lutherans, who, normally speaking, Lutherans and Catholics didn't get on at this time in history. But they were they, they could coexist. In in a lot of places, no. Okay. But in Munster, Lutherans and Catholics were united against the Anabaptists. So then they could coexist. That, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Exactly, exactly. So now you have a situation where the city's being fully taken over by Anabaptists. Um, the prince bishop, it's ruled by a prince bishop, um, is obviously very concerned about this. So he brings an army and starts to siege the town. And he brings about, he gets support from all the other local rulers. And he gets, it's about 3,000 men he has outside this city. 3,000 soldiers. So what the Anabaptists are doing inside the city is sending out these pamphlets to people all across Northern Europe. It's worked for them so far. Trying to invite them to come. Yeah. To share in God's kingdom and also help fight the army that's, you know, staying. Right outside their doorstep. sitting outside the city, yeah. And a lot of these messengers get intercepted. A lot of the people who are trying to march to Munster to come and join them get intercepted along the way and killed, basically. So Jan Matthias finds out about this. He's not happy. Yeah, he's not happy. He finds out the situation's fucked. So he says, and this is, I think, what makes him sincere okay. in his mad beliefs. He says, okay, God spoke to me, and he's told me that I need to put my armor on, I need to get on a horse and I need to charge at the army, and God will bring me victory. So hold on, let me get this clear. So the leader of this group, who could be easily protected, mm-hmm. has now taken the reins, is now the front man, yes. and is now charged out into the enemy opposition. Yeah. And has he got an army behind him as he's doing this, or is he one-manning it solo dolo? He decides to have its 10 or 12 of his elite guard are going to ride beside him 
they have the honor of riding with them. Lucky Ooh. them. Lucky them. Uh, there's no greater gift. Can you imagine? Like, I want you to go with me. You, you would, you would feel so good. Don't worry about it. God will bring us victory. Oh yeah, oh, for man. sure. We're like that is without question. That's just the honor that's now bestowed on. He's like, I get to ride with Ormian. You in history books, bro. You were one of the. You were one of the twelve. You were one whatever. of God's knights. God damn. So Jan Matthias with his small number of guards and his message from his God his merry band of men his merry band of men and his message from God leaves the city gate gets on the back of a horse and charges at the 3,000 man army and apparently this army is looking for a while like are these coming to talk to us are these like, guys are fucking these... serious what yeah you, what's going on here <laughs> no way <laughs> yeah and then after a while they look at each other and like no they're, they, they're charging at us like that feels like a monty python sketch where you see them riding in from the distance and as they keep going like this guy's fucking real and they're still charging but they never make any distance <laughs> this is one of a few fucking so ridiculous things about this story that make it laughable. Like, people died, so it shouldn't be funny, but there's some mad shit in this story. Like, this is nothing for what's coming next. All right. So, yeah, Jan Matthias charging towards the army. They basically, after a while, figure out, no, he is actually coming to fight us. So the Prince Bishop says, okay, my, you know, this squadron of cavalry, whatever you want to call it, you ride out, a few hundred of them, you ride out, and exactly what you would expect to happen happens. They just fucking absolutely... Batter them. Yeah, they just destroy them, yeah. <laughs> Get Jan Matthias's head on a stick, or a pike, whatever. As one does. You know, you, you gotta fucking show your strength there. Of course yeah. you have. So they're parading it to the city. One does. As one does. As one uh, does. And they nail his knob and balls to the city gate. As a message. Yep. I like that. I respect that. That's the language South Africans speak fluently. <laughs> <laughs> so Jan Matthias' reign is now over, oh. and the Munster Rebellion should be over. You would think. You would think. The leader's dead. You've the- just seen your, your god king decapitated. And his balls and dick hung on the gates of the walls. I mean, surely the feeling inside the city must have been of, like, complete despair. Yeah. That, you know, it's over. The Prince Bishop's army outside must be feeling like they've won. But there's more. It's just getting started. Oh, yummy. So Jan van Leyden is in his mid-twenties, young lad. Um, he's failed at a lot of things in his very young life. So he's a failed actor, which I think is important. He's a failed baker. He's a failed tailor. He's failed at a lot of things. He's tried all the, the, the trades of being a normal person. What's the next evolutional step? Evolutionary step, should I say? Sorry. He seems like a man who wanted some kind of acceptance into something. Yeah. Society, he wants society to love him. Mm. Actor, mm. baker, and what did you say? Taylor. A tailor, yeah. The book I read is called The Taylor King. Yeah. Because Martin Luther was alive while all of this was taking place. And he wrote a letter addressed to the inhabitants of Munster. And I think he's the first one to call him a Taylor King because he basically says, Your so called Messiah is nothing but a Taylor King. I like that. Yeah. So it should be over. But Jan van Leiden and some of the more senior Anabaptists have told the people that Jan Matthias will rise from the dead in a few days. Don't fear. God's still with us. Jan Matthias is going to rise from the dead. Sorry, just to point out another theme here is a lot of these cults, when their leaders pass away, they all genuinely believe they will be reincarnated in another form. It's the same with Elrond Hubbard. It's the same with Jim Jones. It's the same with the guy from the Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. There's always that slight belief is like, they are above the average man and they will be back. So I just wanted to point out that common thread. So Jan van Leyden appears in the church window on the day 
that Jan Matthias is supposed to come back from the dead. Sure. And he appears in the window with Jan Matthias's widow, mm. Queen Devara, dressed in all white, and Bernard Rothman, the guy who's been sending out all these pamphlets, very important man in the, the town. The money man. Nipperdolling is the money man. Ah, my bad. There's two Bernards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them's a preacher, one of them's a money man. So you could see Rothman as the theologian, Nipperdolling as the money, yeah. and Leiden, Gunner Leiden is the face, right? Yeah. The two Bernards were in Munster before this happened. Okay. And they were important people in the city. Jan van Leyden and Jan Matthias are two foreigners. They're Dutch. I sure. should have mentioned that okay. earlier. This Explain region... Well, this region is called Frisia. And apparently the people in Frisia, so northern Germany and part of Holland, eastern Holland it would be, um, can understand each other. Sure, yeah. So Jan van Leyden has now appeared in the church window with Queen Devara and Bernard Rothman. And he says, I spoke to God. Of course he did. And he's told me that I must marry Jan Matthias's widow. I just want to say, like, again, speaking on a common thread of other cults, there have been so many cults where if a leader dies, the spirit of the leader now jumps into another body and now they are that leader reincarnate. It's a common mm. thread. I mean, I'm not saying this is what's happening here. That's exactly but what he's going for. Yeah. That's exactly okay, what he's going fair. for. I mean, he literally marries his widow. Yeah. So he says, I must marry his widow and God has told me that I must rest for three days mm. and then after those three days, I will have a message for you. <laughs> so this guy knows how to set a stage like, just imagine he's called all the inhabitants of Munster, all the townspeople to like the square. Yeah. And he's yeah. come out with this. Like he's, like I said before, he's got a knack for the theatrical. So he rests for three days, as he says. And then after the three days, everyone gathers again and he comes out. Now, bear in mind, this is his big moment. He's trying to engineer a, a place to become their new leader. Sure. Are the surrounding armies still surrounding yes. the towns? Okay. Yes. So I should have said earlier, Munster's got walls. Yeah. Munster's got big fucking walls. Yeah. And if the army could just enter and kill them, they would do they it. They would have done it. And yeah. they attempt it a number of times, but it's not that easy. Sure. There are people inside Munster who are more than willing to defend it. And that's one really shocking thing about this is that as mad and as bad as it sounds within the city, the followers are fanatical almost until the very, very end. How bad is it in the city? So at this stage, things aren't too bad. In terms of, there's lots of farmland um, right. within the city. There's a river, so they can get access to food. Towards the end of the siege, it gets really, really, really bad. Not many people are eating towards the end. At this stage, people are still eating. Okay. So Jan van Leyden comes back after his three days. After his rest. Yes, after yeah. his rest. After, after his, his godly his rest. Nap. His godly rest. I love it. And he says, okay, God spoke to me and he's told me that I am your new king. Mm. That I am to follow in Jan Matthias's footsteps. Convenient. Yeah, very convenient. I now have a direct line to God, just as Jan Matthias did. Just like passing the phone to the next guy. Love it. Yeah. And I have a lot of rules for you to follow. Oh, new rules, eh? New rules. Ooh. Better rules? No. <laughs> Impurity, anger, and envy are punishable by death. Punishable by death? And these are vague terms. Purity is punishable by death. Impurity. Oh, impurity, my bad. Impurity, yeah. anger, and envy. Yeah, okay. So clearly the people who are in power can just say, I think you're impure. I think you're a little bit angry. I think you seem a bit envious today. I'm going to chop your head off. Oh, you, you looked at that other guy. He, you seem a little bit longing. Yeah. Sliced. <laughs> Sliced. <laughs> yeah. 
And another rule we're going to have is polygamy. Ooh, I'm, I'm getting behind this cult now. So there are a few different theories around this. Mm. One of the theories is that Jan van Leyden was just basically trying to normalize his own behavior because he was a debauched man himself and sleeping with a lot of women. Again, another common thread with cult leaders. A lot of their rules stem from their own desires and their own behaviors, and let's make that the norm. Yeah. 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 Cool. Could well be the reason why he did it. Another reason is that the city was three to one female. One of the reasons for that is because Bernard Rothman has been going to the local convents and basically uh, converting nuns to Anabaptism. And a lot of nuns didn't want to be nuns in the first place. So it wasn't that difficult. So he could go to these convents and say, you know this, like, subjugated existence that you have? Well, you don't have to have it. You can actually come here and be fruitful and multiply and everything's going to be great. And a lot of them loved it. Sounds appealing. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of females living in Munster. So polygamy becomes the rule. And also private property is completely abolished. So all produce... All food, everything goes to, well, I suppose you'd call it the state, but it's it's basically Jan van Leiden and his... At one point, he has 800 soldiers, basically, as royal guard. Yeah. And everything goes to them. And with this whole private property being abolished thing, means that you have to leave your door open at all times. Anyone can come into your house. And they can come into your house, inspect it, and say, why haven't you married off your 11-year-old daughter yet? As is tradition. And then they would take her, and they would forcibly marry her off to a man old enough to be a granddad on the other side of the city, who's already got eight wives, and there's nothing you can do about it. What can you do? If women refuse marriage, they're beheaded. Wow. So is this the worst cold or the best cold? I'm sorry. What are we... What are we... <laughs> I just can't believe this actually happened. It does beggar belief on a citywide scale. Yeah, on a citywide scale, this has taken place. So at this stage, a lot of the people who were followers are now not followers. So he's getting a little bit of resistance now. And you can imagine why. I mean, a lot of people whose daughters are getting sent off to these men whose, you know, properties being abolished, who are seeing people being killed because of impurity and anger. He's getting resistance now. But he seems like a huge contrast to the first year. And I, I imagine that, like, obviously back in the day, you would still notice that huge contrast in the moments he came. He's like, oh, there, there, there are these new rules. And this is how things are going to change. You're like, well, what? Year number the, one was not this bad. I think like, a lot of it is they're already so invested. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. that's it. Yeah, sunk cost fallacy. Right. You're, yeah, you're already... There's already... An, an army at the walls yeah. trying to slaughter you and your family, right? Like you, you are you are in it. And I should also mention, a lot of the soldiers who were sieging the city left the siege to join the Anabaptists. Oh, so they defected, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Why would they defect? Well, there's practical reasons. Apparently, the Prince Bishop wasn't paying. That's a good reason. So they're starving outside the city. Why not join the city and maybe eat and join God's kingdom? Um, and there must have been some mass appeal. Yeah. Can you imagine you, you defect from the army and you go to the city and you realize they're all starving? Like, how? what what, what kind of mistake is that? Like, how, mm. how stupid do you feel? But you don't know any better initially, though, dude. It's like life or death. Yeah, you don't know any better, but you're like, oh, I, I just... I just fucked, up. fucked myself. Mm. Yeah. I just fucked myself. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, there's a, oh, you know, sorry, Matt. You had a 50-50 chance. It's a good guess, but you're wrong, so you die. Uh, yeah, tough shit, Eden. You're going to fucking die. <laughs> Later on in the siege, 
when most people really are starving. Jan van Leiden says, you can leave the city if you want, but we're not going to let you back in. And the prince bishop's just as ruthless. So his rule was, the prince bishop rule was, the men who leave the city get shot. The women who leave, the, the women and children who leave the city basically are allowed to exist in no man's land between the walls of the city and the siege and starve to death. Heavy. Heavy. Yeah. It's so it's ruthless on all sides. Yeah. Now, Jan van Leiden's now got a lot of resistance and there's a counter-rebellion and it actually works. So a group of people get together um, they're very unhappy with what's just happened and they're also very unhappy with the execution of some kind of senior figures in the city. Executions are commonplace by this point. So there's a rebellion which is extremely successful and they capture all the main leaders of the rebellion. They capture Jan van Leiden, they capture Rothman, I think they capture Nippodolin as well and a few others and they have them imprisoned. And then basically, while they're figuring out what to do with them, word gets around, and all of their fanatic followers prevent the counter-rebellion, basically, and come out and kill the people who rebelled and free Jan van Leiden and his senior followers. How did they not have a like the the stage two of the plan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should have been yeah, we should have anticipated. Stage one, capture all the guys. Stage two. What What's you, gotta, you gotta have it. You gotta have Question it. Question yeah. mark profit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stage two, you sit and think about it for yeah. a couple of days. Like what? Yeah, it, it's a massive shame when you find out what comes next. It's a massive shame that it didn't work. But <laughs> yeah, they just they spent too long deciding what to do with them. And by that time, all the other people, probably a lot of other the Borsch men who were enjoying having sixteen wives, decided to get together and free Jan van Leiden. Good for them. Yeah, good, good for them. Good, good for, for them. them. Yeah. You know, fight for what you believe in. That's what I always exactly, say. Exactly. Yeah, it's a very American idea. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Don't take my guns, don't take my wives. Amen. 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 So now Jan van Leiden's free again. Amen to that. Free hey, Ooh, free, free Leiden. Hashtag not all Leidens. Not all Jans. <laughs> not all Jans. Hashtag all not all Jans. <laughs> so now, a local goldsmith, right? Just a local ordinary fella in the town has spontaneously um, turned up in the city square again one day, conveniently in front of everyone, and said, this Jan van Leiden is not who you think he is. He's more than that. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a king. He is maybe not quite a god, but he's more than a prophet. He's like a god king. Yeah, he's like King David from the Bible. Yeah, In between. Yeah. A demigod? Yeah. Might as well be at this point. And Jan van Leyden comes out and he's like, you know, explain yourself. What, what are you talking about? And this goldsmith says, you know, you, you are God's king. You are the new king of Jerusalem. You are the leader of the Israelites. This is God's kingdom, etc., etc." And Jan van Leyden says, oh, you know, I'm, you know, it's very difficult for me to accept this role. I'm too young to do it. And, you know, it's harsh. But, you know, if this is what God wants, I'll have to do it. Twist my arm. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, if I must, yeah. And on that, if any of you decide that what this ordinary goldsmith, who you didn't know before this, has just said is false, well, then you're going against the will of God and we'll have to kill you. It's not up to us. It's God's will. It's the will of God. It's the will of God. It's what the goldsmith said, man. Got to trust your goldsmiths. So now, Jan van Leiden is the new king of Jerusalem, in his own words. Um, and he's a god king for this city. And he's got some really, really passionate supporters. And shit just gets fucking heavy and grim at this point. Uh, really sadistic. So, like, Jan van Leiden's got 16 wives, right? Yep. And his apparently his second favourite wife displeased him in some way. Oh, no. So, he beheaded her in the city square in front of his 15 other wives 
and made them sing glory to God the highest while he did it and danced around the body. Talk about making an Bernard. example. Fuck. Yeah, Bernard Rothman, equally, his original wife, his wife that he had before polygamy was introduced, right. also displeased him. So he made her stand with a sword held above her head for two hours in the city square while people stood around and like mocked her, basically. Wow, okay. So it's fucking grim inside at this yeah, moment yeah. it's not sort of paradise by any means that's tough yeah and the army still sieged outside spent loads of money the stories from inside the city are mad in terms of like how industrious and how committed to the cause that these people were the author of the book i read talks about how they're like ripping up everything that isn't needed anymore so that's a lot of stuff like all catholic churches rip them up all houses of people who no longer live there rip them up and they're making shit from it they're making weapons fortifying the walls all this stuff really industrious the women are making like these different like limestone formulas to throw on the soldiers when they're going to try and eventually get over the walls get in it, yeah. you know a lot of commitment inside the city to the cause and the soldiers outside the city are planning to actually invade so they've got it nailed down this is the date we're going to invade and one of these groups of soldiers, right, because it's a bit of a mixture of people from different places who've all been hired to take part in this. So one of these groups of soldiers basically gets on the piss first thing in the morning and start drinking. Yeah. They start drinking early afternoon, the day before the invasion's supposed to take place. Sure. And they fall asleep. As you would. As one would. Yeah, because they're pissed, yeah. So they fall asleep and they wake up around sunset and they mistake the sunset but a sunrise. Oh, shit. And they're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> the sun's going in a completely different direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're fucking hammered. They, don't, they, don't, they can't differentiate. How drunk do you have to be to make the sun? <laughs> not know up and down. <laughs> the sun's close to the horizon. It must mean new day, new dawn. Okay, yeah. all right, yeah. And they're so eager. They're so eager to invade. And obviously, when you invade these cities, you get to take the plunder and all this stuff. So they don't want to miss out on the party. Oh, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to fucking rave, dude. Yeah. yeah. So they wake up and they're like, "Oh shit, fucking sunrise! We need to be invading here." So they just start charging, and charge. And then the rest of the army are not pissed and are aware that it's a sunset, but they're also like, "What the fuck's going on here?" So they charge with them. I mean, yeah. Mass, mass hysteria. So then, what ends up happening is they're trying to siege the city walls in the middle of the night and it's a complete disaster like I was saying before the women have got these limestone formulas they're pouring them on top of them Um, they're just getting fucking slaughtered basically as they're trying to get up there it's a complete disaster that obviously gives the people living inside Munster a lot of faith in what's going on like oh god God really is on our side look what just happened yeah 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 Jan van Leyden keeps his hold over Munster for quite a while it's 16 months in total so so that, that attempt fails Completely fails. Completely fails. Jan van Leiden stays in control and over time, starvation becomes to get worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it gets to the point where Jan and his royal guard, which is about 800 people, can eat because all of the food, all of the produce gets taken to like the central house state. So they can eat. Yeah. But the mass of the people can't. And it gets to the point where they're eating slugs worms, mass graves are being dug to put all these starving people in and they're being dug up at night by starving people who are eating the dead bodies. Yeah, oh God. Jan van Leyden tells them 
that God is going to turn the stones to bread. So there's accounts of these starving people trying to bite into stones and then just breaking down because they realize that obviously this man's a fucking fraud stone is not bread that must be a moment when you realize shit i've just been fooled i've been dedicated my whole life to this fucking fraud i think the the the, the common denominator with all these cults and religion too to be truthful is, is just a, a lack of doubt you yep. know what i mean mm, mm. right so like whatever whatever goes against what you believe there's got to be a way around it, right? Like, you do not... Whatever doubts you have are minuscule. But again, it's that sunk cost fallacy. It's like, I've dedicated so much of my life and time and energy and money towards this endeavor. I can't be wrong. Yeah, it must be real. It has to be. Yeah, but uh, it, it still goes back, to, goes back to doubt, right? Or a lack of doubt. Yeah, right? like it, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's, it's whether, you, whether you've invested 30 years or, or two weeks, right? Like, you just don't... You you do not have the capacity to be like, well, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> It'd be a difficult thing to accept, wouldn't it? Yeah. That I was wrong. That my whole th- faith that I've just placed in this was completely wrong. And actually, I'm an idiot who's just being manipulated. No, for sure. I guess that's why you get the fanatics. Or they attract people that are searching for a greater cause. That too. That because too. I, I know for a fact that all these cults bring in people that are looking for something better. They're trying to improve themselves as people and they need to believe that there's something more. That too, but lots of people need to believe there's something more. I mean, I think most people are looking for a sense of meaning in life. Not everybody is as willing to act without any sense. I mean, You're lacking something within your own life and I think these cults provide that, provide or fill that void it, that you're... Yes, they're all lacking something, but they don't. All, they also they also don't have the capacity for doubt, right? They're yes, lacking. They're yes. lacking meaning, but they're also once they find it, this is it. This right? is it. There, this is, no, has to be. There's no it. sense of yeah. like me. Like I don't know about you, but mo- almost everything in my life, there's always a sense of like, is this really what I think it is? Am I? Am mm-hmm, I really like mm-hmm. nothing is? I never can believe anything at one hundred percent. Not even close. Sure. I think with this, with the monster rebellion in mind as well. It is a time of, of faith. People were generally believers in a faith. And it's also a time when a lot of different offshoots of Christianity are popping up. And people probably are searching for purity and for the most kind of pure version of the faith. Again, but then this comes into the, the, the common theme that a lot of these cults, their grassroots origins are pure. Their grassroots origins do have good intentions and they come from a place of genuine hope to succeed that they don't have like origins of evil anabaptism is not a violent religion to its core the one of the original i think the original kind of founder of the faith the guy called melkor hoffman he was not violent he didn't preach that stuff so how did this end what was what was how did this end yeah so obviously that planned invasion fails because of the pissed soldiers and all of that yeah but Later on down the line, some people defect from Munster. One person in particular is known as Little Hands in the, in the book. Basically came out and told the Bishop's Army, like, look, these are all the secret ways into the city. You get sure. info here in the walls, you can do this. And at this stage as well, the people's fight in Munster has gone down because they're not eating. They're not eating. Why, why, why should I fight? I've got yeah. no strength to survive. I, fuck that. Yeah. yeah. 
So there is still a fight. Like Jan, Jan van Leyden's got his 800 Royal Guard. There is some resistance. But in this next invasion, the Prince Bishop's army defeats them. Okay. And the siege is over after 16 months of Jan van Leyden uh, having a hold on this city. What happens to Jan and the, and the Bernies? Yeah, so... Jannies and the Bernies. So Bernard Rothman um, was not found. He was either killed in the fighting or escaped. There was one to posters out for him for years afterwards. He was never found. Yeah. Probably killed in the fighting, but they never they never recognised his body. They never identified his body, so they don't know what happened to him. Um, Jan van Leyden was captured. So was Nipper Dolling. And so was this other senior fella called Bernard Crechting. Another Bernard, actually, yeah. So there were three Bernies. In the end, time. yeah, there were yeah. three Bernard, Jeff. <laughs> the people who basically, like, recanted the Anabaptist faith were allowed to return to their local villages. Sure. Which in most cases wasn't Munster because these were people who... They had come from the outside. Yeah, they had come yeah, to yeah. Munster for the cause. A year after the Munster Rebellion, 216 women and 19 men lived in Munster. Out of the... What was 10,000. I'm sorry, say, say that part again. 216 women and 19 men lived in Munster a year after the rebellion was finished. Wow. Three of the main people are captured. Jan van Leyden... Bernard Nippadolling, the rich guy, and then Bernard Crechting, who's just this other senior figure in the movement. And Crechting and Nippadolling completely refuse to, like, repent on what they've said. They reject the offer of a priest to stay with them the night before. They're completely, um, like, stubborn in the beliefs. True believers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Jan van Leyden, on the other hand. The, the, the god king yes. himself. He is basically pleading for his life. So he makes all these different offers. He offers to be paraded around in a cage across Europe. This is and his idea, hey? Yeah, yeah this yeah. is his idea. This is all his pleas for them to give him his life. So he says, you can parade me in a cage around Europe and I will tell people how wrong I was and how they shouldn't do this kind of thing. He says that he's repented on his godlessness and he understands now all this. And obviously, the Prince Bishop's army is just not having it. So he really is like the lowest of the... He's a complete charlatan, like he's a fraud. It, I yeah. think he must be a fraud. Obviously, he got into this in the first place. He must have had some And he was kind in over his head at the time already, though, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 But it seems that from the minute he was captured, he did everything he could to... Get out of it. To, yeah, to keep his life, basically. Um, but he didn't. So these three men get executed. They get taken. And this is in the main square of the city. This all takes place in the city that they've just had. Yes, yes, yes. And there are three cages which get built, and this is for them to store the bodies and keep them on display for the city to see. So they get the three men, they tie them around the post. Yes. And they torture them for an hour each, and they take turns. So it's not like they all get it at once. They have to listen to the other person and watch the other person be tortured before it's their turn. So they know what's coming. They know what's coming. They are given iron collars with spikes on to keep them in place. Yeah, no movement allowed. So Jan van Leyen goes first. It has to be an hour. So if they are unconscious, if they faint throughout, they pause the timer, basically, and they bring you back to consciousness and then they 
continue with the torture. So it starts off, they get two iron tongs, hot iron tongs, place them beneath both armpits and just rip down. And then they just start cutting stuff off bit by bit, just taking off fingers, taking out teeth, all this stuff. And it goes on for an hour and then they just stick a dagger into your heart and get it done with. And then they go on to the next one. There must be some, like, sadistic pleasure from the torturers, though. Like, I know you're going to be punished, but if you die at the end anyway without, like, you're not trying to extract information. There's no greater goal. It's a public show. Yeah, it's a public show. Yeah. People love to watch executions in this time. I'm sure as a society, we're not that far off. If it was, like, no. a normalized thing, I'm sure a lot of us would but be like, wow, if that that bad guy, let's watch him suffer. Especially someone who's done things like this man's done. Yeah. We, we take for granted now, though, how not normalized it is like even 150 years ago that's not that long ago either dude i, I remember in, in high school they uh during uh like lynchings in the south they sent postcards like legit postcards of lynchings like to their friends it'd be them posting with a hung a hanged person from a tree just like hey we're having a great time in georgia what a lovely uh, sunday afternoon this yeah, is well, love this, uh, you know wish you were here you know love love your sister coffee cake and lynching no, like it's ridiculous. Like the lack of violence in society now is amazing. Yeah, amazing. Sure, no, absolutely. What people were doing to people in the medieval era is brutal. But even even seventy years ago, yeah, right? Yeah, Not yeah. even seventy. Yeah, yeah, totally. So these three people are executed publicly, and then these cages are like suspended on the church, and they left the bodies slash skeletons in there for fifty years as a warning. Yeah, it's a sending a message. Yeah, the cages are still there now. Are the skeletons still there? No, no. They removed them after 50 years. But if you Google Munster Cages or Munster Rebellion, you'll see they've still got them there now, suspended from the church. Do you reckon as a tourist, you could go to Germany now and go see them? Or the cages are there. They're, they're literally there. They're, okay. They're there. No, it, it, it's a tourist pull for the city of Munster, 100%, yeah. It's odd that this doesn't have a bit more mainstream, I don't know, Isn't it? awareness. It like, is. because, I mean, I've just sat here for the last, how long we've been here, and like, I, this is one of the most shocking stories I've heard. I first came across this story in a Dan Carlin podcast called Prophets of Doom, and then I read a book on it which he recommended called The Taylor King. You didn't read, but that's fine. Yeah, that's no, fine. I didn't. It was read to me. <laughs> read to him. Read yeah. to him. The pictures were good. <laughs> the pictures were good. It's not very well known outside of Germany. Apparently, there's a lot of German books on this stuff, but not that many English-written ones. It's not a very well-known story, and if it wasn't, for the polygamy, I think it wouldn't be as well known as it is. I think that's something that made it um, just a bit more interesting. It's delicious. Yeah, yeah. And that's the Monster Rebellion. Thanks for listening, guys. Please be sure to tune in to part two when we talk about Scientology and the Jonestown Massacre. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Worst of the Worst Pod and on Twitter at Worst of Worst Pod. We're also on TikTok and other social media platforms. You can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Music, anywhere you get your podcasts. Until next time.